How do we help kids understand what consent means in the digital world? Whether we're talking about posting a picture online, giving consent for that, or sharing what you thought was private information. How can we help our kids? Today I'm joined by expert Christy Keating from The Heartful Parent, and she's going to walk us through an easy framework that she's created to help us do that. Let's get started. Welcome to the Unplug and Plug In podcast for parents, where we explore your relationship with technology, as well as how to help your child develop a healthy relationship with tech and screens, and most importantly, you. I'm your host, Lisa Honnold, and I'm founder and director of the Center for Online Safety. Thanks for plugging in with me today. Hey, it's Lisa Honnold. Today on our show, our topic is consent online. In social media and on the internet, what does it mean to give consent? I'm excited to have Christy Keating as my guest. Let me tell you a little bit about Christy. As a licensed attorney, Christy Keating spent nearly 20 years as a felony felony prosecutor in Seattle, where she spent the latter part of her career specializing in the prosecution of sexually violent predators. Immersed in the world of sexual assault and child sexual abuse, Christy developed a deep understanding and expertise in predatory tactics and abuse prevention strategies. Now she spends her time teaching parents, caregivers, educators, and other professionals how to stop these problems before they happen, rather than addressing them after the fact. Christy is the owner of the Heartful Parent Collective, which includes Savvy Parents, Safe Kids, and the Heartful Parent. She lives in the greater Seattle area with her husband, their two amazing daughters, and a small bevy of animals. That's another thing we have in common, Christy, our bevy of animals. Welcome to the show. Oh, Lisa, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, I'm excited to talk to you more about this. Before we dive deep into the conversation, I want to hear more about how you got into this. You're an attorney and a mom and a parenting coach. How did you become passionate about this topic of of consent online? It's a great question. So, you know, in my work as an attorney, as you just said, I did a lot of um, work prosecuting uh, sex offenders and sexually violent predators and um, and trying to protect the innocent, right? Our children and and others as well. Um, and that was uh, something I was really passionate about before I had kids. But once I uh, became a mom, it just became even uh, <laughs> something I cared about more deeply um, than I had before because, you know, suddenly I'm responsible for this tiny human that you know, I would give my life to protect. And so, um, as I got deeper into motherhood and my interest in, you know, uh, focus of my professional career started to change. Um, you know, I did become a parent coach and got certified in that, but I realized there's this, this world where, um, you know, the work that I was doing as an attorney and the work that I do as a parent coach really come together and blend. And, um, and I wanted to give parents tools from toddlers through teens, uh, you know, parents of toddlers through teens, some tools and ideas of how to keep their children safe. And because of the world we're growing up in, that doesn't just include in-person safety, that includes online safety um, and consent. And, you know, especially for those tweens and teens, the idea of consent um, is so critical 
to their health and safety, that that was a really natural place for me to land and, and do some work. I hear you. And it's a, it's a world that, that you and I didn't grow up in. We're having to catch up as our kids get there first, and it can be really scary for parents. Can you give me a couple of examples of um, how consent might show up in our lives, what, what that might look like? Absolutely. Well, the first thing I want to say is, um, well, yes, I hear you. It is really scary. <laughs> this is a different world than than we grew up in, in many ways. And in, in others, it's still the same. And so I think the place we have to start first is recognizing that although the online world presents additional challenges, and we are playing catch up in many respects with our kids, you know, they are digital natives. We are not. Um, at least I am not, given my age. Nope, me either. <laughs> um, and and so that does put us at a bit of a disadvantage. However, I think it also creates um, some advantages in that you know we had to learn how to keep ourselves safe and learn those safety tools in a world where our parents couldn't check in with us every five minutes, you know, or know where we always were. Um, and so I really approach online and digital safety from the perspective that in most respects, the safety tools that keep our children safe in person are the same safety tools that keep our children safe online. And we often think of them as two separate things that we need to talk about. Um, and I think we need to bring them more together and talk about, as you said, consent and uh, respect and um, you know, tricky people, who do we talk to? Who do we not talk to on the internet is really not any different than who we would want our children talking to or not talking to in real life. Um, and so I think that's the first place I start is that I, I bring these two worlds together a little bit more. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, Lisa. I th think I went kind of on a tangent there. I love the tangent because it's how I approach things too. When parents feel scared, they get paralyzed, right? And they think they don't know the answers. And what you say and what I am saying also is we do know the answers because we we know how we want to parent. Yeah. And although we didn't grow up this way, we can figure it out. Like we can we can use the tools we have and apply them to this new area of parenting. We can also talk to other parents and get more feedback and learn more about this new thing. We can also ask our kids what they like online. That's the other thing that I love about what you and I are both saying is we get to collaborate with our kids and they, in some instances, get to show us what's cool about what they're doing online. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we don't have to know all of the ins and outs of every app that's out there on the internet. Um, we don't have to know exactly how Snapchat works or exactly how um, TikTok works or any of the, you know, in order to have really productive conversations with our kids um, about the way that they're conducting themselves online, the way that they're responding to others, the way that they are, um, you know, the safety decisions that they're making, um, we can still engage in all those conversations even when we don't know the nitty gritty details of some of these, um, you know, apps, which are changing on a daily basis, right? Oh, yeah. Just as soon as you learn one, your kid will be on to the next one. Um, and while there are certainly safety decisions to be made about which apps they use and which they don't, 
you know, age dependent, um, I think the most important piece of all of this are the bigger, broader conversations that we're having with our kids about their behavior online and um, and issues like we're talking about today, consent and respect. And those don't change that much, you know, when you're online or if you're in person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Having that conversation where you talk about parental expectations. What do you expect? And um, talking with kids about how how they can do that. It, it totally makes sense. Can you give me a definition of when we're talking about consent? What are we talking about? Yeah. So I actually divide consent into two different definitions. <laughs> um, and because I'm a lawyer, um, of course, there's the legal definition of consent, right? And that will vary from state to state ever so slightly um, as to how that is defined. But the bottom line from a legal perspective, and and consent legally is generally referring to in-person interactions, right? Not so much online interactions, but I think it's a good um, jumping off point for this conversation. So when we're talking about consent from a legal perspective, it really um, means or, or takes the approach of no means no, right? So if one person is um, touching another or imposing themselves on another person and the person being touched says no, um, legally that means no, right? That, that suffices. Um, there are many reasons why that has to be the standard legally speaking, you know, based on our constitutional standards. I don't like it though. Mm. <laughs> I, I don't think it is good enough. And I, I think, um, sends the wrong message and it puts all of the responsibility on the person who is on the receiving end of the act or the, you know, if we're talking in the online world, um, of the communication. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that just doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't think our, uh, it, it guides our own behavior well enough. Um, and frankly, I think our kids deserve better. So you'll hear some people say, well, yes, then let's, let's change that and say yes means yes. Um, and again, I, that's better. It is better, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't quite get us there because again, it puts the responsibility on the person that is on the receiving end of that touch or communication or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Um, and so I really like looking at this from what is, uh, our individual responsibility in terms of getting consent, um, and making sure that the person that we are interacting with, the person that we are sending photographs to, you know, the person that we are texting or emailing or communicating with on social media or interacting with in person, that we make sure we take the responsibility for ensuring that they are okay with what we are, um, what we, what we want to do with Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, the, the bottom line, and I've, I've got a, um, uh, an infographic kind of, you know, um, downloadable handout on all of this for, for folks, but, um, I created a, uh, an acronym called Omegas, the Omegas of consent. And I called it that because Omega is the last letter in the, the Greek alphabet. And so I like this, I like to think of this as the final word on consent. Mm-hmm. Um, and really what it lays out is the idea that 
when we want to engage in some sort of interaction with another person, again, whether that's in person or online, we want to make sure that any consent that they've given us um, is ongoing, um, that the the interactions or the communications that we're having with them are mutually desired. In other words, we're not just bombarding them with, um, you know, with emails or or um, snaps on a Snapchat or or whatever it might be. You know, and I almost think about that in the online world. So I have a mailing list. And I can't send, I can't just put anyone on my mailing list, right? They have to decide to join my mailing list and then I can send them things. And that is that act of consent. I have to get consent from them before I start sending them things. Um, and, and they can they can unenroll anytime they want. They can unsubscribe. That's exactly right. Yeah. So that goes to that ongoing piece, yeah. right? Okay. They get to decide and I have to respect that. I can't just say, Oh, no, no, no. I'm going to keep sending you things, right? <laughs> so I think we can easily put this into the into the online world and, and think of it in that way. You know, it also, we want to make sure that the people that we're interacting with um, are enthusiastic, that they're informed about uh, who they're talking to. So, you know, if we are pretending to be someone online that we are not, then we're no longer engaging in informed, the, the other person cannot be an informed consenting partner. Um, we want to make sure that those interactions uh, and the consent is freely given, um, that the two parties that are interacting are um, of a, an appropriate age to be interacting with one another, right? So different families will have different rules around that. Um, there's also legal rules depending on what the nature of the communication is. Um, and we want to make sure that we are um, – interacting in a, you know, at a time and in a place that we are of sober body, sound mind. Um, and that, again, that's in person and online as well. You know, so occasionally teens will engage in drinking or taking other substances. Um, you know, that's a whole separate conversation, obviously, but getting online and sending threats in that, when you're in that place, um, or getting someone to do something online when you know they are impaired is just as dangerous as if you were doing that in person. So um, I really like to think of, you know, if you sort of summarize this all in one word, you know, the amugas of consent really mean that we have ongoing uh, um, consent from an enthusiastic participant in those communications. Mm -hmm. um, and as soon as that enthusiasm or that, uh, ongoing consent is withdrawn, then it's our children's responsibility to stop just as they, uh, we would want them to do in an in-person interaction. I love your framework. It's blowing my mind a little bit because I think generationally we've, we've changed so much. When I think about my college years, that was my first exposure to no means no, right? And that was revolutionary for for the, my age. Then yes means yes. That's a whole other level of uh, consent that's, that's second party. I mean, it's not the original person. And what you're saying is, no, we got to take it back to the person who is proposing or thinking about doing this thing. Yep. That's where it starts. And it, it's got to be mutual from that point, not having the other person have to say something. It's got to be from the original person. Right. Mind-blowing. Yeah. I love this framework. 
Yeah, I uh, thank you. And I I think it is such an important um shift in our perspective and in the narrative that we're writing around this consent issue again on person on person online and in person. Um and it is not just from a from a respect perspective, right? I think this is um the ultimate way to show respect to another person, but also from a safety perspective. Um, this is much more likely to keep kids and adults, for that matter, mm-hmm. um, on both sides of the equation safer um, and thoughtful about the behavior that they are engaging in. Um, when we start teaching them to take responsibility for themselves and not waiting for another person to say yes or no or whatever, right, whatever the um, the word is that they've been told they need to say. Um, yeah, when we can put responsibility on ourselves or in this case as parents, when we can teach our children that it is their responsibility to ensure that they have consent for all their actions and communications, we set them up for far more successful, um, loving, kind, and respectful interactions with other people. And, and that lands them in a good place. (laughs) It totally makes sense. This idea of personal responsibility and teaching it as parents and then watching kids develop it and continuing to nurture it, they're going to be fantastic adults. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's one of my goals is to raise a generation and to help all of us as parents raise a generation of young people that shift the the narrative around all of this and start um with that piece of personal responsibility and frankly, you know, in the end, reduce the incidence of um, child sexual abuse and sexual assault and, um, you know, things happening on the internet where photographs are sent that someone didn't want to receive or photographs are shared that should never have been shared. You know, all of those types of actions that we worry about as parents, um, I think have to start with us and, and, and how we're talking to and teaching our our children, um, you know, whether they identify um, as a boy or a girl or anything in between, right, on the gender uh, spectrum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let's open a can of worms and talk okay. about sexting, right? <laughs> okay. It's, it's what every parent, one of the things that every parent dreads, and it's super common at this point. The numbers that I'm seeing are 25, 30% of teens have engaged either in sending or receiving explicit photos. Um, so let's talk about how parents can can frame this up uh, for kids in, in the consent frame. How, how do they talk about this? Yeah, so I think the first thing to recognize, you know, 25 to 30%, those are big numbers. Um, but what we, what we have to start with and remind our kids is that that means that 70 to 75% are not doing this, right? That's still the overwhelming majority of kids not doing this. And so I think it's important for our kids to hear that side of the equation and rem- and um, and perhaps bolster their willingness to say, this is not something I want to engage in, right? Because I think kids and teens get this, well, everybody's doing it mm. kind of an attitude. But when we can remind them that actually the overwhelming majority of tweens and teens are not 
doing it, that can help them um, sort of strengthen their own resolve to not engage in this behavior. The second thing I think is really important here is to, we have to strike a balance with our kids when we're talking to them about subjects like this, um, between making sure they understand the reality, um, the legality, you know, there there could be very real legal issues involved in sexting, um, and the the possibilities that are bad and all those horrible things we imagine as parents. Um, but fear-based education with our kids is not super effective. Um, and so while we need them to know the reality and we've got to sort of lay that out for them, I think we also have to engage in really open conversations where we're, we're bringing more curiosity to the equation than, um, than fear-mongering, if you will. Um, so when it comes to sexting, I do think it's important that our kids understand, you know, here's the scary stuff they need to know. First of all, um, it, depending on the, the state that they are in, um, sexting may very well be illegal, um, a felony offense. Uh, and it may result if it, if you're caught doing it or in possession of a photograph of another kid, you know, teen, um, even if they're the same age as, as, as you, if you're caught in possession of that, that can be a felony offense that requires registration as a sex offender. And that registration follows you for the rest of your life. Now, states, including Washington, where we both live, um, are trying to catch up <laughs> with the reality of the modern world and recognizing that teen behavior is different than, say, a 45-year-old man you know, having photographs of a six-year-old kid, right? That there's a difference between two 16-year-olds sending, you know, naked pictures of themselves and and that first scenario I painted. Yeah. Um, the law is playing, is very much like us as parents <laughs> that we talked playing about. Playing catch up, yes. <laughs> right? They're playing, it's playing catch up. And, and it's a really imperfect, um, it, the law is imperfect. And so, you know, as an 18-year-old and a 17-year-old, for example, like that wouldn't even raise my hackles if they were dating. But if the 18-year-old is in possession of a photograph, naked photograph of that 17-year-old, they're considered an adult and now it's a registrable offense, even in Washington. So our kids need to know the reality that the law may not be on their side here. <laughs> um, and that, that that's something that you can't take back, right? Mm. You know, and then the second piece is I think our kids need to understand that whether it's sexting or anything else, um, anything that they put on the internet should be, or a um, digital electronic device of any kind should be considered public and permanent. And privacy settings aren't really privacy settings, right? They are sort of a hopeful filtering settings, <laughs> but there's a million different ways for that information to get out, right? All it takes is a screenshot or, um, you know, a, a quick share um, before you delete something and, and that information gets out there. So helping them understand the reality of things being public and permanent. And it's a hard concept. I mean, my um, sister-in-law was having a conversation with my father-in-law just this last weekend um, and trying to help him understand <laughs> that anything that is posted on Facebook, for example, is there forever. Mm. Um, and he was like, no, it's not. And she's like, oh, yes, it is, <laughs> right? So that's a generational thing too. But 
Um, our kids don't often think about the reality of that when they're engaging in this. So we've got to start from those first two places, right? The mm. understand the legal potential legal legal repercussions, um, and just the idea that privacy is um, a fantasy mm-hmm. <laughs> on the internet. It's an absolute fantasy. It's a fantasy whether we're talking about texting, Snapchat, Facebook, email, doesn't matter. Um, so that's the scary part. But then what we really have to um, help our kids understand or talk with them about, and this is where we get into that curiosity and hopefully those very open-ended conversations with them is, you know, why? Why would this feel like something that you want to do? Um, what are you trying to gain from doing this? What do you think the other person is trying to gain? What do you think the risks might be in doing this, right? And helping them through questions um, you know, reach their own conclusions about whether or not this is a safe, smart decision for them to be, to make. And when we can approach our kids from a non-judgmental place and not just the, I know better than you do, right? Um, when we can really sort of dive into their world, and this is true for almost any subject that we're talking about, but, you know, when we can really dive into their world and figure out what is the, um, what is the why behind some of these behaviors? Um, and are, are there safer alternatives? Are there, you know, um, is somebody who's asking for a naked photograph somebody that uh, is part of a healthy relationship or not? And that may vary, right? The answer to that question may vary. But the goal here is to help our tweens and teens arrive at their own conclusions. Because if you have a teen that gets there on their own and says, oh gosh, yes, sexting is not something I want to be engaged in. That doesn't seem like a very smart idea. That is a resolution that is far more likely to stick than if we're saying, don't ever do that. You know, now I'm not saying we shouldn't send that message as well, that it's a, you know, that there's potential dangers there. Um, We need to also recognize that this is is a modern form of flirting. We may not like it. Um, it. We may find it to be highly inappropriate, but our kids may not see it the same way. So we have to, we have to get it, get at it with a different angle and then always fall back on that idea. You know what? Not everyone is doing this. <laughs> They're not. I love that reminder. Not everyone is doing that. Um, yeah. To flip those percentages is really powerful. And it gets right to the fear of, oh my gosh, everybody's doing it. I'm left behind. I'm a, you know, a dud as a teenager. No, most of the kids aren't doing it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And then responding, you know, if someone says, we can teach our kids, if someone says to you, oh, send me a photo, everybody's doing it. You know, we can give our kids the script. Uh, No, they're not. You know, they, we can teach them to say, not everybody is doing this. And someone that would pressure our kids into doing that is is not, that's just not a, ha- a, a safe, healthy um, relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Our philosophies line up beautifully. Oh, good. <laughs> um, I, I bet you like this too. I love when there's a story either at school or somewhere out in the world of a situation that I can bring to my kids because it's not a personal story. I'm not saying you don't do this. I'm saying, oh my gosh, look what happened when this this happened. Somebody thought a Facebook group was private because it was set private. And then they got their 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 college acceptance letter rescinded. 
right? Mm-hmm. Because it was no longer private. Someone screenshotted and yada, yada. Uh, just to bring those real life examples and say, oh my gosh, look at, look at what happened here. What would you do differently? Where do you think they made a mistake? Just to have those curiosity questions, like you're saying, based in a real story that is not a judgy story. It's just out there as fact. Uh, it, it's a great place to start. I, I love this this curiosity point and, and I use it a lot too. And, and I'm right there with you. I love using um, media, you know, news stories, even things that we see on sitcoms or hear in music as a way of engaging our kids in conversations. And it is so much easier for them to relate to um, in many ways, because it's not, we're not talking about them, right? We are talking about something outside of them. And so they are not as likely to go immediately on the defensive Um, and to, it's easier for them to get that sort of go to a thoughtful place in thinking about how did that happen? Why did that happen? What could they have done differently? You know, and those are questions that we can, we can ask them. Um, and I had a, back in, I guess it was December of last year, um, I sent out a challenge to my, um, mailing list asking them to compare the lyrics of two songs, a, a, an old song and a remake of it and to engage their kids in conversations um, about it. And I had a mom email me back and say, thank you so much for that. That was the most productive conversation I've had with my tween. She was the most engaged I've seen her. And it was because it was something outside of her. And they could think about these really sensitive and sometimes um, scary topics from a source outside of them. And that just made it so much easier for this particular um, tween to engage with her mom about these, you know, in these conversations. So it can be a super powerful way into it. That's a fantastic connection. And I bet they both remember that conversation and they will continue to remember what they talked about. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. And lastly, I know you want to talk a little bit about your gift. What if you, what do you have? Yeah, so for those parents who are sort of intrigued by the omegas of consent, which again can be useful um, for in-person, you know, talking about in-person interactions as well as online, I have a lovely download that explains that in detail. Um, And parents can go to theheartfulparent.com slash consent, and they can download it there. And again, it's heartful, H-E-A-R-T-F-U-L. Perfect. All right, everybody go get that. Christy, it has been a pleasure talking with you. I really appreciate how smart and based in curiosity this conversation has been. Oh, Lisa, thank you so much. What a what a pleasure to get to talk with you about this and you know, to just bring some more awareness to to all of us as parents about these important issues. Thanks mm-hmm. for what you're doing. Mm-hmm. 